in Matthew chapter 25, we find one of those stories where Jesus expresses his love and its impact on our lives, how it changes who we are and changes how we live. And we're going to look at that story this morning as we study the Bible. So it's be in Matthew chapter 25. It's towards the backside of your Bible. Um, and we're going to be at the bottom of that chapter. So you're going to want to go down all the way to verse 31, which was where that story begins. Let me summarize it real quickly because it's a pretty straightforward story. And the moral of this story is God's love for us, how it changes us, and how that impacts the things we do for people around us, how we live our life. It doesn't just change the way we think, it changes the way we act and the way we respond. So in Matthew chapter 25, Jesus is talking about the very end. He's describing a scenario in which the end has come and everybody has gathered in front of him, all the people of all the world at all times. And so it's a little hard to grasp the magnitude of this moment. And God has filtered out in judgment Two groups of people, an unrighteous group and a righteous group. I always feel guilty because I am primarily right-handed like God. And so I tend to always immediately reserve this half of the the worship center as as the righteous, this half as the on half. Now, it's not just bad enough this half's unrighteous, but it also turns out in this story, the analogy, the, the description of that describes this half as goats. This half is sheeps. And so you have this scenario play out. What I, what I find interesting in this story is that, because we can understand that part, it, may, it makes sense that there is some sense of reckoning, there is some sense of accountability, and that accountability is going to look at our life change and what God has done and, and what we've done with what God has done. And so that all, all makes sense. But what amazes me in this story is the unconscious way in which the life change or the lack of life change impacted. Those whose lives have been changed because they met Jesus, they're in relationship with Jesus, they understand God's love, they they know God's love, and now they're attempting to live that love out in their lives. They're they're clueless. They're they're like, Lord, why why are we so special? Why why have we been, you know, what what have we done? And then Jesus just lists off these six different things. It's not an exhaustive list. It's not a conclusive list. He just says, hey, there's, there were these moments in life. I, I was sick. I was in prison. I was, I was naked. I was not clothed. I was, I, you know, and he names off these circumstances. I was, I was, I was suffering. And, and you were there. And the righteous don't get it. They're not, they're not sure. They're like, when? When did, when did we ever see you? in those conditions and do anything for you. We don't, we don't remember it, we, we, can't, we can't explain it. And Jesus gives them the, the point of this story in a very, very significant way. He says, whatever you did for anyone in need, you ultimately did for me. The other side's clueless as well. I, mean, I gotta stop looking at you guys. You guys, I really don't think that about this side of the room. So let's we'll switch it back and forth. I, well, how do we, why well, can't, how am I gonna stop calling them the unrighteous if you guys keep flipping the camera to this side of the room? How come you sit over there? switch things out a little. This, this, this other group, they're clueless as well. Their life was never changed. They never met Jesus. They have no relationship. Jesus has described this scenario in other stories where he flat out says, look, 
You're going to say, I went to church and I did all these religious activities, but I didn't know you because the call of God in our lives, that life change happens in a very personal relationship. And in this scenario, the unrighteous didn't do anything. They didn't, they didn't use life change. They didn't experience life change. And so it makes sense. They didn't do anything. They, they never shared the love of God because they didn't know it themselves. But they're still clueless. When, when did we ever see you, Jesus? We, I, we never saw you. If I had seen you, you can almost hear the, hear the conversation. If I had seen you, I would have done something. And Jesus calls to them and says, look again, if you had seen it, and if your life had been changed, and you were aware of this need, you would have done it. And when you did it, you would have done it for me. But you didn't, and so you didn't do it for me. It's living our life change to the glory of God. I love how Paul says it in the letters of Corinthians to the Corinthians. He says, whether you eat, drink, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. This story makes that vivid and clear. In the first section, it talks about that accountable life change. That life change, is, it, it's important and we'll be held accountable for that. Verses 31 and 32, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels are with him and he will sit on his glorious throne, all the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate them one from another just as the shepherd shepherd separates the, the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Look down at verse 34. Then the king will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed by my father, on his right, my left, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the earth. Then he will say to those on his left, my right, depart from me, for you are cursed into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. And they will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Accountability is there. Our life change is an accountable, accountable life change. It's important. We don't just simply make a mental or intellectual or an academic ascent. Oh yes, I believe Jesus is the son of God. Yes, I believe Jesus died. I believe Jesus raised from the dead. I, I believe those things that are part of the Christian ethic. No, it is a personal relationship with God that changes who we are. And in that change, it changes what we do. And there's a test at the end. My least favorite part. I, as a student, I thought the worst thing in the world was taking tests. As a professor for over 10 years, I thought the worst thing in the world was giving tests. You may be surprised by that. Because inwardly, most of us, I think, resist accountability. And so we don't like to talk about it. We don't like to talk about that there will be a moment in our lives, there will be a moment when we are in God's presence And our relationship with him will have either been validated by our life change and our actions or our lack of relationship with him will be validated by the lack of life change and the lack of the activities that reflect him and bring him glory. This is important stuff. It's not just something that's nice or sweet or or is is a favorable possibility. This is what God expects. And that expectation is that life change is evident 
that there's evidential life change, that this life is obvious. And that's why Jesus gives such a practical example. Verse 35, he's talking to the righteous at this point. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you took care of me. I was in prison and you visited me. And they have no recollection of ever doing that for Jesus. But they had met Jesus, their lives had been changed, and they were now facing and looking forward to an eternity with him. And their lives had been changed and there was evidence of that life change. It was obvious by the things that they did, by the activities they participated in, by the way that they demonstrated compassion and the way that they lived honoring and glorifying him. The other group down in verse 42. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you didn't take me in. I was naked and you didn't clothe me. I was sick and in prison and you didn't take care of me. Where life change was absent, where the relationship with God was vacant, where the knowledge that Jesus is everything he claims to be and being the way and the truth and the life and the son of God, son of man, simultaneously coming here to die on that cross so that through that death, our sins could be forgiven. Life change could happen because he didn't simply die on that cross. He was buried and after the third day, just as he had promised and just as he had predicted and just as generations of prophets had predicted, he was raised from the dead and he conquered death and he conquered sin so that in this moment, those who know him, those who have a relationship with him can anticipate being commended. You did the right things because you knew the right God and he changed your life. Life change is obvious. The reality is for most of us, there should never be this moment of question that we know Christ, that we are Christians. It should be evident in everything we do and every place we go. It should be evident in the interactions we have this week at school. Our teachers should know that. And I recognize, anytime I talk to our students and I I talk about school, I recognize these days, in this generation, you're moving into hostile territory. You might not want to be recognized at school because there could be difficult consequences for that. But yet, the call of God on our lives, when we meet Jesus, that desire to acknowledge who he is and that it's changed our lives and that life change wants to glorify him, we'll acknowledge that even in difficult circumstances, even when it's hard. It should be obvious we're a Christian. It should be clear. It should be clear when we go to work. It should be clear, especially to our families, to our children and to our grandchildren, to our great-grandchildren. It should be clear to the people we interact with in culture and society. And it doesn't mean it's always going to be reciprocated and it doesn't always mean that people are going to go, oh, you're so nice. It's obvious you're a Christian. Just in the same way, and Jesus said this to us when he was on earth. And he said, you know what? If they're gonna reject me, there's gonna be times that they reject you. Understand that. He, He goes as far as to say, if they hated me, there will be times that they hate you. 
that this life change is because we have a relationship with God. It is not because we suddenly wanted to be nice people and we want to win the best sheep of the year award and be on the cover of Time or Newsweek. This is because we met Jesus and he changed our lives and now we want to live in such a way that the change is obvious. And these scenarios, like I said, that Jesus brings up, this isn't exhaustive. It doesn't mean you need to leave out of here today and try to find somebody who's hungry. But if your path crosses somebody like that this week, help them out. It doesn't mean that you need to leave out here and see if you can find somebody thirsty. If your, cross, if your path crosses somebody like that, then do something. Stop by the cafe on your way out, pick up one of those little bottled of water, take it with you and give it to somebody this week. You can do these things when Jesus has changed your heart and changed your outlook. There's an awareness that's here. And that awareness is the desire and the intention to be loving and caring and compassionate the same way God does. And it, and it doesn't mean you give up your stance. We have very strong beliefs about what the scripture teaches and we stick to those beliefs. We're not changing. But always, it not only grounded us in a foundational belief system, it grounded us in life change that creates evidence and makes it obvious that we belong to Jesus. That's where the term Christian came from in the book of Acts. They didn't know how else to describe these people that were new and different other than they recognized and said, look, these people were following Jesus. So let's call them Christians. Let's, let's take Jesus' title, Christ, and make them a group of people. And here we are 2,000 years later, still desiring to be called followers of Christ, still desiring to be called Christians, and for it to be evident and obvious in our lives so when accountability comes, we're prepared for that moment. Now, the third thing I want to mention about this, but I'm going to have to qualify it, is that it's actually relatively simple. This is a doable life change. Nothing Jesus mentions in his story. If you look at the six things he specifically says to do, none of those things are hard. It's actually relatively easy to make sure somebody has food and resources. Pastor Josh already mentioned our connection and partnership with Tomball Pregnancy. We connect with several different ministry organizations in this area to do ministry in our community. It's not difficult. We've been picking up food. I don't know if we're picking it up again this week or not, but you'll be reminded by text if we are. You can drop it off on Wednesday if we are. And because we help with team and we help make sure that people in our community who are hungry have food, it's, it's simple to do. We do the same thing if they're thirsty. We try to help intervene in their lives and help give them the basic sustenance. We're going to Nairobi, Africa later this spring, next spring, and we'll be there and we'll be doing light construction and we'll be doing activities that help people literally have the ability to quench their thirst. Even more significantly, quench the spiritual thirst. That dry, arid feeling in our heart that things just aren't right. And that my life's just not what it can be or could be or should be. And we can go through all of those B's and figure it all out and suddenly realize I need to know Jesus and we need to be there to help them meet Jesus. It's such a simple thing. You do it every day. You do it at the office. You do it at home. You, enter, you meet somebody and then you turn to somebody else and say, hey, I just met this person and their name is such and such and your name is such and such. You just introduced them. Introducing God's no harder than that. All these things are doable. What God calls us to do is doable. It doesn't always work in the best of circumstances. 
we had actually studied a passage of scripture like this in a church I was pastor of and you know, we were kind of in that heightened awareness moment, which makes me a little bit leery because I realize some of us will probably run into some difficulty this week trying to implement this, even though it's doable, even though it's relatively simple to do. Good friend of mine, a young deacon in that church and, and a leader in our church, Bible study teacher, he, uh, he decided that he would help the panhandlers. We had lots of panhandlers on all of our corners in that church and everywhere. And they were always, you know, we'll work for food, we'll work, you know. And um, most of them were totally frauds, quite honestly. They just, they were, that, that was the way they chose to make a living. That was their vocational choice. But he decided, he wanted to do something tangible. And so he, he went to farmer's market and he bought a sack of good South Texas grapefruits. And he put it in the front seat in the passenger seat of his truck. And as he drove around, anytime he found somebody with one of those signs that said, we'll work for food, he took it literally. And he would pull up and say, I don't have a job for you, but here, this is a brand new fresh grapefruit. I'm hoping it just gives you some energy and some strength this morning. And he would hand it to him. He's telling me the story. Most of the time, they took it, kind of looked at it, and set it back there with their little stash. Pulled up to one of those intersections, did that just like he had done at several other places, handed it to the guy, and the guy looked at it, saw that it was a grapefruit, and with words that I'm not going to use in church, basically told him, I am better than a grapefruit, I need money, took the grapefruit and threw it at him in his truck it hit the front mirror and broke the mirror he said being nice to the hungry cost me today at the body shop like I know sometimes it doesn't go and I know that I know that feeling personally I was reminded recently of a an incident that happened the church I was pastoring at that time um, they, were, they were big on, on food and gifts and things like that, particularly around Christmas. And, and our church does that too. Our ladies are in particular very generous and bring stuff by during Pastor Appreciation Month and during Christmas. And it was that time of year. And um, it was getting real close to Christmas. And I had this kind of stash of, of, of homemade cakes and, and different types of cookies. And, and somebody had given me a, a canned ham. That may sound kind of strange, um, but I just love ham. I think, I think ham is one of, that's why I'm Christian, not Jewish. Um, I just, I mean, I love it. And I'm looking forward to it. I'd already text Carrie at home and said, hey, I got a ham. We, you know, we can eat this. And a you know, big old one, you know. And I'm, I'm so excited. And then this guy came to the door, wanted some help, told this story about how his family wouldn't be able to eat when they wouldn't have any food for Christmas and everything. And uh, one of the assistants came back and said, hey, this is what's going on. I think he's legit. We get a lot of illegit requests like that, which makes it hard sometimes, but you still want to do the right thing. And so we started kind of working together and we didn't keep food in the office. We didn't have anything like that. And so I, I went into my office and I took a bag and I started loading it. I put, um, there was this, that had a lady in our church. She was of Danish background and she would make these Danish Christmas cakes. They were just absolutely beautiful and they were pretty good to eat too. And I thought, no, it's Christmas. This is what Jesus would do. He would feed him. I put my, I put my Christmas cake in there and I put some other goodies in there and I had some Christmas candy in there and I'm standing there. I'm getting everything I can. I'm going over to my desk drawer. I'm pulling out cracker packs. I always have cracker packs in my office and, and I'm putting some of those in there. 
I'm avoiding the ham. I don't know if it was the Holy Spirit or if it was just a sense of obligation. I, I can't really explain it. But as I started to walk back out, it was like I heard a voice and I thought it was God saying, are you willing to give up the ham? I said, no. <laughs> you know, have you ever had that experience before? You're like, no, I don't want to do that. I finally turned around, went back to my office, got the ham, put it in the bag. I walked it out to the guy, and I was so happy. It's Christmas time, I'm helping somebody. His little kids are gonna be able to eat my ham, my cake. I hand him the bag, and he looks in it, and he starts expressing, again, words I'm not gonna express, about how deficient my gift was. And I'm like, everybody who gave any of that to me did it because they love me and now I'm giving it to you. I don't even know you. And he starts swinging, you know, plastic grocery sack, starts swinging the sack like this. As he's walking, he's walking past all of our cars. The staff had their own parking spot and he's walking past our cars towards the street, which was a pretty busy street. And he's swinging and he just, he just arcs it. Boom, lands in the middle of the street. I'm a little shocked. I got a couple of the other pastors that are standing there with me and I start kind of walking towards the street and I think something inside was saying, well, you can recover the ham now. Um, <laughs> and about that time, not a pickup truck, you know, not an SUV, but a garbage truck. <laughs> a big green garbage truck comes down the street, hits my ham. I'm just gonna tell you, I know from experience that those things really do explode. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just devastated. But the hard part, the hard part is the next time I've run into somebody. If I run into somebody this week and I'm trying to decide, is this a legit request? Is this not a legit request? And part of me wants to say, it's always illegitimate. Part of me wants to say, hey, remember that guy? Remember the guy that threw the grapefruit? And the truth is, I could spend the rest of the morning giving you stories like this. I've been in ministry long enough, and all of us in ministry have had these experiences where you do what you think is the best you can do, and, and it's just the opposite, and it's unappreciated, and, and you, you have that heartbreak. But one of the reasons I say what Jesus is challenging us to do is doable is nowhere in this story does Jesus describe the recipient's reaction. Is there anyone who has given more unrequited love than Jesus? He died on that cross willingly to forgive our sins, willingly giving up everything, his glory, his power, his authority, his life, so that you and I might have life. And he didn't say, oh, it's only to the ones who will believe. It's for everyone. The deepest, saddest part of this story to me is that the ones on the left, the goats, the unrighteous, who never experienced life change, it wasn't because God was deficient. And it wasn't because God's love wasn't significant enough. It was available to them the same way it was the righteous. They just never responded. They never agreed to know him, to meet him, to be in relationship with him. 
It's personal. It's personal with God. It's an undeniable life change because of who causes it. In verse 40, the king will answer them, truly I tell you, whatever you do for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. So I don't know. It's not always gonna work out. You're not always gonna be thanked. You're not always gonna be appreciated. It's not always going to be immensely obvious that you did the right thing. But the way I read this story is that we keep doing it anyway. We keep caring. We keep giving. We keep loving. Because God takes it personal. Whatever we do, whatever we don't do, we do for him or we fail to do for him. And he changed our lives. If you know Jesus, then you know what I'm saying. We're not the same people. And so this week, we go out like we do every week. And we do what God calls us to do. We try to listen closely to his spirit. We try to listen to him. And if he says, what about the ham? Then I say, yes. And when I go back and I slink down in my chair, and I'm saying, why? But why, God? Why, why, why did I do that to watch it be ridiculed, mocked, cursed, and then destroyed? And Jesus just gently and quietly says, whatever you did, you did for me. And James, I saw, I know, God's love changes us. It changes who we are. It changes what we do. It changes how we live. I want us to take just a moment and this, just, just, a, just a brief moment to pray. Our band's coming back and we're gonna worship with one more song. And, and as they start to lead us, you may wanna come up here and pray. You may wanna come and talk to one of us. We'll, we'll stay down in this area. You, if you came with friends, you can talk to one of them. First and foremost, just stop for a moment and say, do I know Jesus? Is there any reason today I don't want to meet him? And if your answer is no, you can't think of a good reason not to meet him and not to ask him to be a part of your life. Then just stop right now. The words are not near as critical as what you have in your heart. Say to him, yes, I've sinned. Yes, I've made mistakes. But if you'll forgive me, I want to know you. I want to be in a relationship with you. I, I want you to change my life. And I want to be with you forever in heaven. You pray something like that, he will answer. And he will come into your life. And he will be a part of your life. And he'll be there for you. That solid foundation we sang about and talked about earlier. There may be some other action as Christians. Oftentimes in this moment, we realize, okay, I should do this this week or I should talk to this person this week or I, I should make arrangements to, to give in this fashion. There's any number of things God could be saying to us right now in this moment. And let's just solidify that. Let's decide right now we're gonna do something about it. And we'll give you this time in this moment to make those decisions. So that we leave here not 
just having heard another story of Jesus, but being changed by the story and ready to live out his story every day. And if we fail, we fail. But we tried. And we wanted to glorify God. And he knows it. We're not doing it for the person. We're doing it for Jesus.